morning. Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 2 through 13. I plead with you, Eudodia, and I plead with you, Sintich, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whenever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The word of the Lord. This is kind of cool. It's a little bit like being a rabbi. (laughs) Um, Before we come to the word, let's go to the author of that word. Pray with me. Father God, your word says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. So we pray that in these moments, your spirit would work by and with that word in our hearts, that we might renew our hope and our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might declare his praise. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, um, Corey's right. I do like to talk about Africa. And um, I think I mentioned the, the one time I was here before that um, Kath and I began our missions ministry in Dar es Salaam which is on the coast in Tanzania. And during that time, we met a young couple that had come to the university. Uh, He was a Fulbright scholar and a musicologist, uh, whatever that is. And uh, so uh, we had told Greg and Mona that we would take them up country to Makumi National Park, not one of the better known ones, but one that was about four and a half hours away. And we would drive up there in our own Land Cruiser. It was a battered HJ60 diesel that uh, we had been told had been driven to the office by a Swedish granny. Uh, but I came to realize that probably she had driven it for two or 300,000 kilometers uh, before we got it because the thing was a bucket of bolts. But uh, so we piled the kids and our friends into the Land Cruiser, headed towards Mukumi, and of course, about an hour out of town, uh, the power steering belt broke, so I'm trying to horse this beast around. Uh, we get to the park. And we're looking for Lion. And because I had four-wheel drive, we didn't have to have a Ranger. So we're just cruising around, going to the places where Lion usually like to hang out. 
So we went down to the hippo pool. There were lots of crocodiles. Uh, there were lots of hippos, no lions. Uh, we cruised around through the forest. And finally, as we're coming around a corner at midday, high noon, under a baobab tree, there is a pride of eight lion lying on their backs with their paws in the air looking for all the world like big kitties. So Kathy says, stop the cruiser. So I stopped it, and because that thing shakes when it's in idle, uh, I turned it off. And so we're taking pictures, and we're laughing, and we've been looking for lion for years, and now here they're coming out of the woods, and um, a lioness gets up and starts to circle the cruiser. And I remember an old Far Side ca cartoon where there's a couple in a Land Rover, and the woman says to her husband, George, he's got a coat hanger, right? And I'm thinking, what will happen if a Fulbright scholar gets eaten by a lion? We probably should leave because they're looking way too interested, trying to judge how much force does it take for a lioness to pop the window out of the back and grab the kids. And so uh, this was an old car, so I, I heated the plug. You'd have to be my age to know what that means. Uh, turned the ignition, stepped on the diesel, nothing happened. Dead as a doornail. Right? You ever felt like that, surrounded by a lion, and praying that God would show up? We live in a time of, will you forgive me? I, I like the rabbi deal, but I'm going to stand up. It's just not working uh, for me. Don't tell Hutch. But have you ever felt like that, right? We, we live in a world that is filled with fear and anxiety, and it's coming at us from all kinds of situations, from the environment and the economy, and we're not even going to talk about the stock market and the war in Ukraine and the crises in our lives and the conflict in our nation, and dare I say, even in the PCA at times. Henry Nouwen said that anxiety uh, fragments us. It, it causes us to be all over the place, but seldom at home. He said, in fact, if you really want to pin down the defining characteristic of this spiritual crisis, it's the fact that most of us have an address, but we can't be found there. Kelly Capix says that anxiety is the illusion that you and I are in control. And we're going to fix it. And we want everybody to know that we alone have the answer. I'm not going to ask if you're wrestling with anxiety. I'm going to assume that that's true. True confession, I wrestle with anxiety about all kinds of things. I thought getting older and wiser would make it easier. There's just more stuff to worry about now, right? But Paul says, when you turn your eyes away from yourself and your circumstances, and you fix them on the Lord Jesus and His sufficiency, what you'll find out is that you don't have to be anxious. And let me be clear here, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety um, that requires a good physician and a godly counselor. I'm talking about everyday garden variety living as if God is not on the throne. As if Jesus is not everything that the Word of God says that He is. Paul says, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that we don't need to be fearful in conflict or in dealing with the various cares that 
crowd into our lives or wrestling with changing circumstances. So let, let's begin, first of all, looking at conflict and controversy. Uh, I did not go to General Assembly this year, but I tuned in through the live stream. And I think it's typical of our particular moment in history that we have a lot of conflict, a lot of things that we're wrestling with that we disagree about. That was true in Philippi. That should encourage us. This isn't new. This has always been the case in the Church of Jesus Christ. And Paul does something extraordinary here. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with, with each other in the Lord. Now, look, he's not calling them out because of some petty disagreement. This is about the leadership of the church. These are prominent women in the congregation at Philippi. We know from Acts 16 that uh, Paul and Silas went down to the river where there was a prayer meeting that the women were having, and that became the nucleus of their church plant uh, as Lydia and her family came to Christ. And then a little bit later, Luke records that an enslaved uh, girl with a python spirit um, was set free, spiritually speaking, and then the Philippian jailer and his family, and, and the church just took off from there. But they're having a dispute, not about goals, but about how to get there, and it's causing division in the church. Does that sound like the PCA? Maybe a little bit. We all agree we want Jesus to be uh, glorified and worshipped uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, but we have differences of opinion about what that looks like, how it takes place, and how to go about things. Well, that's happening here. Paul says you need to agree in the Lord, and if you can't work it out, bring in a mediator, right? This loyal yoke fellow. Uh, and you, you get the imagery there, right? If, if you've got two horses pulling a, a buggy, and one's going this way, and one's going that Never going to work. So you yoke them together, right? So they're pulling the same direction. And Paul says, um, and whether he's thinking of Epaphroditus or even possibly Luke, we, we don't know. But what we do know, he says, there are brothers and sisters in the church that can help you work this out, right? Those, and he gives Clement a shout out. Don't know why that is, but apparently he was involved in the leadership he says, agree in the Lord, because here's the thing. Your names are written in the book of life. Look left, look right. You're going to be together for eternity, right? And beloved, we'll never fulfill the Great Commission until we fulfill the Great Commandment. As Peter says, love not only the Lord, but love one another deeply from the heart. And so he says, you've got to commit to peace. Right? And that involves moving towards one another, not away from one another. And can I suggest that it also involves being careful how we speak to one another, especially online. People will say things that they would never say in person uh, behind the anonymity of some kind of username. Don't do that, right? Um, Roger Nicole wrote a wonderful article that I, I forced my doctrine students to read called Polemic Theology. And he said, what do you owe to those brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have theological or missiological differences? He says you owe them the duty of love. And the duty of love means you have to listen to them. You've got to hear what they're saying, hear their hearts. If they've written articles and books, you ought to read those before you criticize them. 
And you need to focus on what they mean, even if they say it badly. And you need to look in the mirror and say, I could be wrong, and see if there's something you could learn from that brother or sister. There's been a lot of debate in the blogosphere about how Christians should be militant uh, with the world outside in our apologetic encounter and with one another. Look, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be ready to give an apologia, a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal. Every person you meet today, every person you'll meet this week, is headed towards heaven or they're headed towards hell. And the way we engage with them and the way we talk to them will help them towards one or the other of those destinations. Take the image of God and others seriously. Paul would remind us. In fact, he'll say to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but gently instruct, right? We, we owe it to one another, Paul says, to come together in the Lord so that Jesus gets the glory and the kingdom work goes forward. Um, during the pre-field training that our Mission to the World team had, we went up to Lookout Mountain Prez, um, borrowed one of their rooms. A consulting psychologist came up from Atlanta, Tim Irwin, and Tim decided he would give us something uh, that would help us build our team. So he handed us a Lego set. It was the hospital one, if you're familiar with that, right? And he, he said, you got 30 minutes to put this together. So the six of us went into this room. Uh, two of us, one of whom was me, uh, believed that real men don't need instruction. So we just started putting stuff together. <laughs> You know, quick glance at the cover of the box. Um, that drove both of our, our wives crazy. So one of them took all the pieces for the ambulance and went off in the corner by herself and put that together. Um, my wife and the team leader's wife were trying to organize uh, the bricks by color and size and the instructions. And the team leader was adjusting the lights so that we could see the chaos. And after 30 minutes... We had a completed ambulance and a pile of bricks. And Tim looked at us and said, you guys have really got to work on this, right? It's, it's got to be intentional that we would pull together. Paul says, don't be anxious in conflict and controversy. Move towards one another in the Lord. Ask for wisdom. The Lord says, if you need wisdom, ask me in faith and I'll give it. He will show the church the way forward. But it also applies to those cares and concerns that we have. Now, the immediate context is this dispute that is kind of wreaking havoc in the church at Philippi. And Kelly Capick is absolutely right uh, in his article talking about kingdom peace, right? Uh, not just personal peace. That this is focused on the fact that God's people um, are to rejoice and not to be anxious in order that the work of the gospel can go forward. But, beloved, it also applies individually. Because each of us, in order to come together corporately, first has to wrestle with the Lord on our own. So, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. 
rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And whether he's thinking of Zephaniah 3, uh, talking about that eschatological coming again that Mark referred to um, while he was talking about the offertory um, hymn, or whether it's talking about Psalm 145, where David says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. It remains the fact that you and I live our lives, Corndale, before the face of God. We are never orphaned and on our own. He's there. And so Paul says, take your eyes off yourself, focus them on the Lord, and rejoice. And if you can't think of anything to rejoice about, go home sometime this holiday weekend, get a pad of paper, and just start listing the blessings, the ways in which God has been faithful to you. And see if it doesn't bring you to joy. Right? So you turn from anxiety, you turn to joy, and then you commit whatever you're anxious about to the Lord in prayer. And so Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Any exceptions? None. Right? Don't be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing, the authorized version says. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is not, it's in, in the original, it's stylistically glorious. Uh, the way he's tying these different kinds of uh, prayers together with our thoughts and mind and heart. But the point isn't about the words. The point is about the believer's position in prayer. Acknowledging that we are not self-sufficient. Not even remotely self-sufficient. That our only hope, our only comfort in life and in death, right, is that we belong to Christ. And so going to Him in every moment, with every concern, means that when we have entrusted it to Him, we will experience the peace of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and then that will enable us to come together as the church and to look at the broken places in our community and to say, how can we step into the gap? How can we rebuild the broken walls? How can we repair ruined dwellings and be the people of God in this generation, in this place? I bring shalom. Paul says, you take it to the Lord. You turn away from fear. You move in the Holy Spirit's power to faith. And then he adds, and I love this. He says, stop doom scrolling. Well, no, he didn't say that because he didn't have a smartphone. But you know what I mean, right? Verses 8 9, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, Kelly Capic likes to challenge students to not read a news outlet for a week. Right? Just go an entire week not listening to the news, not scrolling through news feeds, all of which are intended to terrify us. Right? And if you can read more than five articles and not be an abject terror, you're just not paying attention. Don't focus on your circumstances. He isn't saying deny the reality of the world and its brokenness. But focus on the Lord. 
on what Samuel Rutherford, uh, the author of the Shorter Catechism, would have called the loveliness of Christ. And if you believe he is king, and he is reigning now, and he has authority, all authority, in heaven and on earth, then think about that. And commit your cares and concerns to him. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons are chaos at our house. My five-year-old granddaughter, Isla, my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Samuel, come over to play, and typically, Kathy and Isla go off and and, uh, do crafts and art projects and um, stuff like that, and Samuel and I do man things, right? We play with trucks and shovels and dirt and sand and water, and we get really messy, and we run like, well, he runs like crazy, right? Because he has two speeds, on and off. But when you're two and a half, there are lots of things that could be obstacles. So he's always crashing. And sometimes he'll fall really hard and a tear will come to his eye. And what do you think he does? He runs into my arms and buries his head in my shoulder. It doesn't mean that a scraped knee doesn't need Bactine and a bandage, right? Of course. Uh, It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. But what it means is he is confident that I will be there with him through the pain And we will come out the other side. And look, I know that's a poor analogy. But Jesus wants you and I, rather than to give in to fear and anxiety, to run into his arms and trust in his providence and believe that he is working out what Paul will call in Romans 12 too, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is it good, pleasing, and perfect for him? Well, yes, of course. But the point is that it's good, pleasing, and perfect for us, as James Montgomery Boyce said. Do we believe that? Do we trust him? Well, he finishes up then with changing circumstances, verse 10 to 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Do you see how joy is the uh, essential component of the Christian life, that we are always asking to rejoice in the Lord, not in denial of the challenges we face. But because our joy is not tied into circumstances, but it is found in the hope that we have in the risen Lord Jesus. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Uh, They gave him a gift. And Paul says, that's amazing because it shows me that you're connected with me in the partnership, the fellowship of the ministry. We're pulling together. I'm praying for you. You're praying for me. You're trying to help me out. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned, love it in the old authorized version. He says, in whatsoever state I am, right? Right now it's Georgia. But uh, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. Contentment. Paul says, I've been hungry and I've feasted. Um, I have had plenty, and I have had want. But I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. J.B. Phillips, in his lovely um, version of the New Testament, put it this way. He said, I can be ready For anything. Through Christ who gives me strength. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Will we go into this week. With all the problems that face us. And all the things that are going to happen. That we don't know about. Greg Dubel with 
I think was telling me um, before the service that it's a, it's a good thing. No, sorry, it was John Heisman was saying it's a good thing that the Lord doesn't let us see the future, right? Uh, because we might not get out of bed. Nobody knows what this week will bring, but beloved, I know this. If you are in Christ, he has promised that he will walk through whatever it is. He will be mighty to save. He will work it all together for his glory and your good. And the key then to joy and contentment in the face of crazy change in our world, right? People are always getting a job and losing a job, looking for a job, wrestling with young children, wrestling was with my niece yesterday. Her kids are going off to college. She is just shattered by that. Um, wrestling with older parents who cared for us and now they need us to care for them. We're not even talking about the economy um, or the markets or all of the things that are way beyond our control. Change is a part of life, but Paul says you can face it with confidence, not in your sufficiency, but in the sufficiency of Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So you're probably wondering what happened. Did the lion eat the Fulbright Scholar, right? No. Um, <laughs> I, I decide, you know, the problem with teaching the Bible for a living um, and you'll have to ask Hutch if, if he feels this is true for himself in pastoral ministry, is that it can become really academic, right? Like, this, this is material that I'm going to cram into Brandon's head. Well, Brandon's a graduate now, but back in the day. Um, and, and the problem is that we can forget that it is real for us. And so in that moment, I sang in my mind um, a British children's worship song. Maybe you've heard it. It's called Jesus Send Me the Helper, right? Uh, terrible tune, but, but really cute words. And, and basically the idea is, Jesus send me the helper, send me the helper to help me. And so I said, Lord, uh, they're a lion, and the car won't start, and I've got to get them out of here. Um, I can't get out of the car because of the lion. It wouldn't help because I can't fix a diesel engine anyway. Please show up. Send me the helper. I believe I'm saying with little faith that I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me, right? And I heat the plug, crank the ignition, push on the diesel, and the cruiser roars to life. And we roared out of there while the lions were roaring at us. I don't know what you and I are going to face, but this I know. Jesus is Sufficient to make us ready for anything. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Father, we are so gracious uh, for your mercies in our life. Would you help us in the midst of our conflicts and in the midst of our anxious concerns and in the midst of changing circumstances over which we have utterly no control, would you be pleased to give us the grace to rejoice in you by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our needs to you. And Father, you've said that you'll supply all of our needs in glory through Christ Jesus. Would you give us confidence in his sufficiency and give us your peace, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <laughs>